After losing a ton of talent to the NBA, Arizona is somehow right back at it, winning the Maui Invitational Tournament. How on earth does Tommy Lloyd have it rolling at such a high level in just year two? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national hoop show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for making us your first listen or watch of your day. PK85 is up and rolling in Portland. The Battle for Atlantis final, the championship, is set down in the Bahamas. But before we get there, we got to put a bow on the Maui Invitational and wrap it right up. The 2022 Maui Invitational, finally back in Maui, is in the books. Your winners, your champions are the Arizona Wildcats. Spencer McLaughlin, the host of Locked On Pac-12 and the host of the Locked On Oregon Ducks, who are not playing great basketball right now, joins me. And we're not going to talk about them. We're going to talk no. about these Arizona Wildcats. Yeah. And boy, what a start. And Spencer, like I thought, just just cards on the table after everything that Tommy Lloyd lost, I was like, man, great first season. Are you going to be able to do it again? And they are doing it again. What are you seeing from Tommy Lloyd's second club that's allowing them to go to Maui and bring home a championship? Well, I, I think you touch on a really interesting point there. When, when a coach takes over at a program that has had a high level of success for a long time, and then that coach leaves, I think you can see, especially in, in football, but certainly in basketball, as well. The coach who comes in, if it's someone who was on staff as, as Tommy Lloyd was, if, if memory serves, that is, or no, he came from, he from, he from came Gonzaga. from Gonzaga. Yeah, yeah. That, that's right. But so he comes down and a lot of times what you see when a new coach gets in there is he wins for a period of time, but then eventually kind of the, the momentum runs out. A great football example, there are two in the Pac-12. Mark Helfrich, when he took over for Chip Kelly, worked for several years. But then once Mariota went away, once he lost a lot of Chip's players and he kind of had to do it on his own, it really fell off. David Shaw at Stanford, he had a much longer run of success, but now it feels like they're just a shell of themselves from what they were in, in that 2010 to 2015, 16 range on the football field. And I think it takes longer for that to materialize on, on the gridiron than it does on the hardwood, Isaac, because players tend to stay longer, right? They have to stay longer. College basketball, even more than college football, though it certainly is now with, with the transfer portal, is such a year-to-year -year endeavor that you have to be able to come in and you could maybe do it for one year. But then that next year, your roster is so different. And that's what's so impressive to me about Tommy Lloyd at Arizona. They are a really good team. They are very balanced in their scoring. They have five guys averaging double figures and one guy just a shade under at, at 9.8 per game. Like they're doing it in so many different ways, but look at what they lost. Benedict Matherin is tearing it up for the Pacers yes. right now. They lost Coloco from that team. Like those were the dudes. Absolutely. Those were, those were the dudes. Yeah. And then you come out in the beginning of the season, not the end of the year, once everyone has time to kind of get incorporated and, you know, find their footing, figure out the chemistry and whatnot, you come in right away and you beat some good basketball teams, right. especially Creighton. I think San Diego State is solid. Yep. I'm really impressed with Creighton. Absolutely. Like when you watch them play, they pass the eye test to me. I'm like, man, 
that reminds me of a Jay Wright Villanova team. Hmm. And by the way, Villanova is going to be another really interesting case study in that. Jay Wright isn't there anymore. How How good are Uglin? Yeah, how exactly. How good can they be? And how important was that figurehead who was kind of at, at the top of it all? But that's what's so impressive to me about Tommy Lloyd and these Arizona Wildcats is the way they have just not had any drop-off, it seems, from what they were a season ago when people were asking, I, I think fairly, you know, is this just a one-hit wonder? Is this just sure. a flash in the pan? I think it's pretty clear with this start that that's just not the case and that uh, Tommy Lloyd is a really, really good coach. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you said, I mean, they have they blazed through this field. Cincinnati 101 to 93 in the first game at Maui. Uh to San, I mean San Diego State and Creighton at least held them under 90, but it was 87-70 and 81-79. You have multiple 30-point scores in this tournament in, for for Arizona including Armar Armar Omar Balo, excuse me, 30 points in the championship game. I mean, Goodness gracious, this dude is something different. And you've got Mr. Azulis Tabellis coming out with 30 points. Uh, I guess that was against Cincinnati. And like you love that balance you talked about is like if you've got multiple dudes who are going off for 30 points, how does that stretch uh, 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 an opposing defense to have to be able to guard each of these potential 30 point scores at any given moment? Well, it, it just makes life so difficult because you have to basically rely on 1v1 matchups. You know, Think of it in a football sense. If you've got four elite wide receivers, who are you going to bracket? Who, who are you going to shade? You really can't. Your best bet at that point is to blitz the quarterback and hope your guys can, can hold up long enough until the pressure gets there. And I think you know, from a, a basketball schematic standpoint, when you have that many ways that, that the other team can attack you, you can't pack it in the paint. You can't leave the lanes wide open. You have to be somewhere in the middle and just kind of try to win those individual matchups. And that's what makes it tough. And, and I'm glad you brought up Ballo because I, I think that when I watch him play and I follow <laughs> WCC, you know, I'm a Santa Clara grad, so I know WCC basketball very, very well. Ballo is, is such a mark few, like it's so mark few. I think some coaches who come from a great coach, you know, assistants who are then head coaches, they will, you know, take on certain traits, but not all of them. And they'll have kind of their own unique style and, and such, you know, like Ryan Day at, at Ohio State is a Chip Kelly disciple. They do a lot of similar things, but Ryan Day is also unique in that sense. But Ballo's a guy who, you know, is a backup last year, essentially. And boom, now he's a centerpiece. That is so Gonzaga. That's so Gonzaga, man. The way that that coaching staff for years with few at the helm and Lloyd clearly a part of it, developed players who didn't – the year before he became a big-time NBA prospect, Rui Hachimura averaged like two points a game. And you're like, man, I think that guy could be good. And then he comes back the next year because Gonzaga guys don't transfer. Players transfer into Gonzaga. They don't transfer out. And then that guy pops the next year, and you're like, oh, that's a, that's a lottery pick. Yeah, okay. Philip Petrushev, another great case. Go, yes. it's, it's wild. These guys will go from three points and two rebounds a game to 15 and 11 the next year. And they do it like clockwork. They do it especially with post players, but with guards as well. And I think, again, what Arizona has is a Gonzaga-like trait, which is that 
they are very multiple in how they will beat you. Like uh, of all these Gonzaga teams, you know, I, I think the ones that that Mark Few has had the last couple of years is moving more in that direction they have been. They never feel dependent on one guy. But right now, this Gonzaga team, I look at it and I say, if Drew Timmy's in foul trouble, I think they're screwed. Yeah. I think they've got nice players. I don't think they have great players. But that hasn't been historically the case. You know, they've had teams that have had Jordan Matthews and Shemit Karnowski and Nigel williams Goss and what they've had that depth. And Arizona presents that depth. So yeah. when I look at what Lloyd is doing versus what he was taught to do up at Gonzaga, what he knows – from his time as an assistant or Mark Few, I think it's playing out just like that. And that's really good news for Arizona fans and uh, potentially bad news for college basketball fans. <laughs> that's right. And that says to me, going back to the beginning of our conversation, that this whole thing is sustainable year over year over year for Tommy Lloyd because he knows the playbook and he's just running it. And uh, if Mark Few has proven anything to us, it's that it's going to be successful over decades of time. And here's the other thing to me. We talk about all these um, guys that can just drop it. And then you've got this dude in Kirk Carissa, who, by the way, is one of my favorite people in all of college basketball because he just don't care, right? He goes out and does it. Seventh in the nation in assists, seven and a half point or seven and a half assists a game, but he's also dropping 15.3 points per game. So he's not just dishing it out, but he's part of this dynamic playmaking offense helping Arizona go on any given night. You love to see it. Yeah, and, and I think that college basketball being so dependent upon guard play, again, that's just another Bingo. feather in the cap. Bingo. I mean, g- give me the great college basketball team. Give me the team that's made a run in the NCAA tournament the last few years that hasn't had at least above average guard play. It's usually high level. I mean, who did you know who played in the national championship a year ago? Kansas and North Carolina. Caleb Love was running the show there for the Tar Heels, and he is once again, they're the number one team. And then on Kansas, you had Remy Martin off the bench. You had Ochai Abaji. Like, it's about, like, I'm not saying wings and bigs are not important. Of course they are. But if you're missing that high-level play from the point guard position, I, I think it caps the ceiling on your team come tournament time. And, Again, the early returns for the Wildcats are that that is not going to be an area of concern. And with, with the depth and coaching that, that we were talking about earlier, they appear poised to be, you know, a, a five loss or fewer team in, in college basketball this year because well-coached teams, which I think they are, tend to play their best basketball in February and March not in November and December. And Arizona, if this is what – now some teams peak – Sure. So, some some sure. teams peak early, right? Sure. I think Wisconsin a year ago peaked a little bit too early before the NCAA tournament. I think Auburn kind of did the same thing. Absolutely, I would, that's the prime example to me. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Auburn was the best example of that. So that that's something to follow here. But if they if 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 Lloyd is able to do what he what 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 his predecessor or what his mentor I guess did and Mark Few then they'll just continue to get better. And that makes that makes them a legitimate title contender. And, you know, out here on the West Coast, Isaac, we're, we're looking for a national championship anywhere we can find it in football or men's basketball. It's been a long time coming. Every other sport, we got no problem in the Pac-12. With Stanford a couple of years ago, you go to all the other sports, they're everywhere. They're absolutely everywhere. Oregon State baseball, you name it. We got it. But football, men's basketball, they've been elusive. And that Arizona team – 
that Arizona program is one that certainly you would look to and say, who's going to end the championship drought? I think you look at Arizona football or Arizona basketball, not Arizona football, not Arizona football. <laughs> not Arizona football. No, no, not Arizona football. Arizona football going like this though. Trending, 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 right. up, trending. Up. Right. Well, it seems folks like Tommy Lloyd's club has all the pieces necessary to make a deep run, not only in the PAC 12, but in the NCAA tournament, we will keep our eyes on that and definitely talk to Spencer Moore as the season unfolds. Make sure you check out his great work on locked on ducks and locked on pack 12 spencer happy black friday enjoy las vegas oh i already am my friend trust me (laughs) well maui may be over but the battle for atlantis and pk 85 are still in full swing who's going to win that battle for atlantis championship i'll give you my pick in just a second but first this episode is brought to you by underdog Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to spice up the college basketball season. It's easy to get started and to play while you watch your favorite team. In fact, I've created my own account with Underdog, and I'm definitely going to be looking for some picks in the Battle for Atlantis Championship. You can go to Underdog and make your own picks, just like me. It's easy to play and available in over 30 states. You just pick between two and five players across any team and decide if they're going to finish higher or lower. One of the easiest fantasy games to play out there, and you could win cold hard cash in a single game. So sign up with promo code Locked On, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's right. Deposit $100, get $100 free. Go to underdogfantasy.com or find the Underdog Fantasy app in the App Store or Google Play Store. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code locked on, all one word. Get in on the college basketball pick'em action today. Okay, we're heading back down to the Bahamas, where the championship game is set at Battle for Atlantis. It's the game we expected. Kansas and Tennessee are going to meet as expected, but the paths to get there were not at all what was expected. In the semifinals, both teams needed overtime just to make the championship game. And listen, folks, to be frank with you, Kansas, it took a miracle at the end of both regulation and overtime to do it. The end of regulation had a three uh, to tie it up, kind of reminiscent of their 2008 national championship game. But then the game-winning basket came off a desperation three-pointer that totally airballed. And then you get a reverse kind of behind the back putback in midair to win the game. Not pretty, but you know what? Great teams figure out ways to win even when things don't look pretty. And I think a lot of this, if we're being honest, we can chalk a lot of the sloppy play of Thursday. And I saw it all over the court in all of these MTEs. You chalk it up in some ways to being Thanksgiving Day. It's just kind of awkward and odd for these teams to be playing. As for Kansas, Grady Dick, who I've been so high on uh, this this freshman for Kansas this season, he had a bit of a slower day, but it was Jalen Wilson was the dude. 29 points, 14 rebounds, a nice dub-dub for him. Uh, If you're new to the show, I like to call double-doubles dub-dubs just because it takes less time and it sounds hilarious. Um, but but Kansas, we, we've talked about on the show, has a less talented roster 
this year than coach Bill Self often has. And so they have to have somebody like Jalen Wilson step up and be the guy because it can't be Grady Dick. I think Grady Dick is probably the most talented player on this roster. It can't be him night in and night out because there's going to be some freshman lulls. So they need somebody to step up and do things that they've never done before. For Kansas, that's Jalen Wilson. I love to see what he's doing. As for Tennessee, man, they have their own fantastic freshman, Julian Phillips. He had a breakout in their semifinal win over USC. His uh, first 20-point game, he scored 25 to help uh, Tennessee in their overtime victory. So we've got magnificent freshmen in this championship game. But the story for me with Tennessee is that their guards are still just playing okay. And that's not good enough for them to be like this top 10 team that I and many others around the country expected them to be this season. I think they're, as the guards are playing right now, they're better in that 15 to 20 spot. They're 22nd in the nation right now. As for how this championship game is going to play out, the Jayhawks have looked vulnerable to me in their games in the Bahamas. But given what I just said about Tennessee's backcourt and them just being okay, they're not going to be able to stop DeWan Harris from being this insane facilitator for Kansas that he's been this season, getting guys like Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick in position to score and ultimately win this ballgame. Give me the Jayhawks coming back to Lawrence, Kansas with the hardware from Atlantis. As for PK85, it got underway yesterday up in Portland. Remember, two brackets of eight teams and you've got a women's bracket as well. Uh, the two tobacco road heavy hitters, Carolina and Duke, are in the opposite brackets of each other, but both had a rough round one. For Carolina, they won over Portland by just eight points, but were down by four with about five minutes to go. For Duke, they just won by three points over Oregon State, who is awful at basketball. Uh, just being honest there, and so... Again, similar to what we said, though, with some of these other Thanksgiving Day performances, it's not an indictment of either Tobacco Road team, but for me, rather more a function of Thanksgiving Day. You've got two East Coast teams on the other side of the country. For North Carolina, for example, it's a 10 a.m. local tip. Nah, that's tough. And for both teams that they're playing, they're playing local teams who are Pacific time zone teams. Don't don't put much stock into what you saw from Carolina or Duke on Thanksgiving Day. The biggest news to me right now out of PK85 is that Michigan State's Malik Hall is going to be out three weeks with a stress fracture type issue in his left foot. This guy has been so crucial to Michigan State's early season success. You've heard how high we've been on this show on Michigan State, and a lot of that is because of Hall. So this is a bummer for Michigan State, who ended up losing to Alabama in their first game of PK-85 last night. But it's an opportunity for several other Spartans to step up and take a big lead. I'm watching to see how that is going to happen for Tom Izzo's club. Can they stay at the level they've been at with Malik Hall out of the lineup for close to a month? As for Michigan State, as I said, they lost to Alabama in their first PK-85 game, probably the most um, watched game of the first round of PK-85. Because, folks, if you have not seen the Crimson Tide's dynamic freshman, uh, Brandon Miller, you are frankly missing out. You talk about um, 
Malik Hall being a big part of the reason Michigan State's off to the start they are. Brandon Miller is a huge part of why Nate Oates' team is 5-0 and this season. For me, you remember Jabari Smith from Auburn last year, top three pick in the NBA draft? I'm getting slightly smaller Jabari Smith vibes from Brandon Miller. Smith is 6'11", Miller 6'9", but this, dude, this forward is averaging 21 points a game averaging eight or excuse me, nine rebounds a game and get this shooting 52.8% from three has hit is made 19 of his 36. And so you hear me talking about it and you've heard us talk about it on other episodes. The sec is loaded with big time freshmen. I cannot wait to see how this sec freshman of the year battle plays out this year. Going to be a lot of fun to watch a lot of early competition for that. Now, uh, based on what I saw on Thursday, I'm going to change my pick for the Phil Knight Invitational bracket. That's the one with Alabama and Iowa State, North Carolina, that whole crew. Give me Alabama over North Carolina to win the Phil Knight Invitational. Well, the Maui Championship wasn't the only game of note from the islands on Wednesday. Arkansas has played some heart-stopping affairs, winning ultimately third place. But an unexpected freshman, that's right, another SEC freshman is leading the charge for the Razorbacks. Before we talk about that, though, this episode is brought to you by Upside. Inflation has us all thinking about different ways to cut back, whether it's driving less, dining out less, or buying less from the grocery store. We can all agree it's just hard to cut back. And that's why I started using Upside so that I don't have to cut back as much because it gives me extra money in my pocket. I literally use Upside anytime I go to the gas station to get money back off the listed price. If you want to do that and join me, to get started, you can download the free Upside app, use my promo code LOCKED and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Then you claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside, check in at the business, Pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and then you get paid. That's probably, with with how easy this is, that's why Upside probably has a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. So you can download the free Upside app right now and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back your first purchase of $10 or more. Again, that's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED. Well, it's the day after Thanksgiving. We're trying to settle all our turkey, and my guy John Neighbors is trying to settle his heart down after the crazy third-place game in the Maui Invitational on Wednesday evening. Just a quick reminder of what Arkansas did in Maui. Uh, Just curb-stomped Louisville like everyone is doing, the Cardinals. Woof. Uh, A thrilling semifinal game against Creighton where the Razorbacks fell just short 90 to 87. And then this incredible comeback against San Diego State in the third place game, a 78-74 overtime victory. And so, John, my first question for you is what I just joked about. How was your heart following that third place game? It was very intense. And it was very late, too. You know, you're talking about the day before Thanksgiving. You know, most people are trying to go to bed, get ready for the the big day on Thanksgiving. And uh, all Razorback fans were up late watching this game. And the intensity uh, of the ending of that game, because let's be honest, the the game itself up until about five minutes left in the fourth quarter, it really wasn't that entertaining of a game, at least for Razorback fans. They were down for the majority of the game. I think they got down as many as 12, 13 points, somewhere in there. 
So wasn't playing very well, wasn't making it really good decisions, but that's the thing about muscleman teams. Every single year, even though they may be down, they may not be playing well, there's something about them where they can click it on and they can get it going. And when they get going, you better watch out. So that was an intense game, and it was a much, much, much needed game for Arkansas to win because it, being in Maui is always a, a huge deal. But the last thing you wanted to do is come back to finish your non-conference season and Bud Walton Arena and all that in Fayetteville, but your best win being against an 0-4 Louisville team. Like, you just didn't want that to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. And and that's what I want to talk about is let's, let's just um, take stock of Arkansas's performance in Maui, which, again, so glad that this event was finally back in Maui after being a stateside post-COVID. Um, here's how I want to couch this. Do you think Arkansas underperformed in Maui? overperformed in Maui or just right about what you expected? Man, that's a loaded question. I would say though, that they performed about what I expected, but here's the thing about this team. And I think everybody starts to realize this, who obviously knows a lot about college basketball and is watching this Razorback team. Razorback fans have no idea what to expect out of this <laughs> team because they know that they're really talented. Like they have three McDonald's all Americans they got two transfers in Trevin Brazil and Ricky Council that are electric. Right. Uh, they add a lot of depth there, especially at the big position, the Mitchell Twins from Rhode Island. Jalen Graham, who was an all-Pac-12 player last year at, at, at Arizona State, comes in. I mean, you have so much talent, but new faces. Don't know how it's going to work. Is it going to take a while to get it going? Whatever it may be. And so this, this tournament there in Maui was really a good indication to kind of right. see – what this team is all about. And then you just say, you don't even have Nick Smith. He hasn't played a single second yet here in this regular season. He is the number one overall player in high school. So people were kind of wondering how is this going to work without Nick Smith and everything. And man, the Louisville game was great, especially in the second half, that Creighton game. I have never seen Razorback fans be more encouraged after a loss than what (laughs) they had in that Creighton game, because Anthony black goes nuts. I mean, that guy was just all over the place. Ricky Council had a big performance. Creighton's a really good, experienced team. Guys have been playing together for a long time. You know, great, really well coached. And Arkansas, with a bunch of newcomers, a bunch of freshmen, and without their best player, Nick Smith, go in there and take them to the wire. That's right. And then last night, or at least the game on Wednesday night, you know, they, they were able to just keep chipping away. They got down. Their offense was very stagnant at times. They had some bad decisions, some turnovers. They couldn't hit free throws very well. But when the game was on the line and when they got on a run, they made the most of it. And Kamani Johnson, the unsung hero, the guy that uh, was on the team last year that hasn't really played much at all this regular season so far, at least significant minutes, comes in, gives Arkansas that energy, has some big plays, the big putback to send it to overtime. So all of that said, I think that every Razorback fan, if you went said, said you were going to go two and one in the three <laughs> games, they would have taken all day long. And I think Razorback fans are satisfied going two and one, especially when they were this close to possibly going three and oh and winning the Maui Invitational. Yes, absolutely. And, and you've talked about both these guys in your answer there because preseason it's Nick Smith getting all the hype. It's in this era of the transfer portal when we just, as you said, we just don't know a lot of times how things are going to click. All of a sudden it's freshman Anthony Black and his amazing mane of hair that's getting all this publicity, all the attention. I mean, 22.3 points per game in Maui. What is it that Anthony Black is doing so well right out of the gate here in his freshman year of college? I like to consider him kind of a unicorn because you don't see six foot seven point guards. The way that he, because he's got a long wingspan, he's extremely athletic. 
but he handles really well. He has great passing ability. I know that Nick Smith was graded to be the best player out of this high school class, but Anthony Black is all that has been advertised. And honestly, it's his confidence. You know, everyone says, oh, you got confidence and whatnot, but it's his ability to where if the team needs a big play, he's able to do it, whether it's a pass, whether it's a rebound, whether it's, you know, causing a turnover. It's not like he's just a one-trick pony where he has to score and that's all he's got. Every element of his game is really good, and Eric Musselman has talked so much about his defense and the fact that a true freshman, you don't get this a lot of times, but true freshman, McDonald All-American, a lot of them can come into college and just be like, well, you know, all I did, I was able to score on a bunch of scrubs in high school. I would just go in here and do my thing and score. He does. He loves playing defense. Like He loves being able to be a defensive player and be really good at it. So he's just been able to bring it each and every game and be really good at it and be consistent. And I think the defense has really set up for uh, Anthony Black as well. Which is going to make Ant- uh, Coach Musselman a very happy man. I just, I just need to get my guy like a, a headband or something. I don't see <laughs> like how, how is he? He can't see what's going on in front of him. He's at the free throw line. I'm, I just want to like go hold his hair back like a lady that drank too much and is in the bathroom. You know? So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so John, here's my question then, and you already kind of went here, and so I, I want to know. There is an assumption that when Nick Smith comes back, whenever that is, this team takes a major leap forward from where they're already at. But but here's my concern. How does a team that's now already six games into their season and who knows how many more before he's back, how do they adapt to getting back a, a probable lottery pick? Are, do you think there is a massive leap or is it? are you more concerned with chemistry and how it all comes together? I think there's a massive leap because the one thing that I can say with confidence is that as long as you have Eric Musselman as your coach, the dude is, is an NBA mindset coach That's and true. NBA coaches, they, they have to deal with, you know, all different types of situations where new players come in and, uh, you know, trades and, and free. And like he has that mindset where, you know, he doesn't build his team around, oh, well, this one particular guy and, and that's it. And if something goes wrong, then we take a huge step back. He builds it to make them adapt to hit the way he wants it done. And so whenever a new player comes in, they just pick up right where they left off. Now, there's no doubt that we don't, like, we don't know when Nick Smith's coming back. We know that uh, reportedly it's been a, a knee precautionary thing. He looks healthy. He's, he's coaching them up and everything on silent, so he's ready to get in. But don't know when that's going to all come down to fruition but it, whenever he comes in though Debo Davis has been the guy that's really gotten a lot of minutes he's been the starter he's been honestly Arkansas's most experienced guy because he was on both elite eight teams and I like Debo but I think when Nick Smith comes back he's going to take the uh, D, uh, Nick Smith's going to take his place Debo's going to go to the bench and you know I'm just basing off of what I've seen from Nick Smith so far everything that Nick Smith does he's better at than Debo Davis so I think you, I think everybody knows it. I think the team knows that, hey, Nick Smith's the offensive guy. He's going to be the guy that goes for 18, 20 points a night. Let's run the offense around him. Let's get him the ball. Let's make it work. And so I don't think that'll be much of a problem. We'll see what it does individually for Nick Smith. Maybe it'll take him a little bit more to get acclimated. But overall, I think, uh, I think it'll just be uh, picking up right where they left off, especially before the season started. Okay, great stuff from John Neighbors, the host of Locked On Arkansas, the Razorbacks. Love it. Uh, coming off of Thanksgiving, John, I hope you're able to uh, get rid of all that tryptophan that's probably in your system right now. And uh, we will see the Razorbacks back in action on Monday, November 28th against Troy, who's already knocked off Florida State this season. Brother, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Hey, you as well, man. Appreciate it. 
Well, that does it for this episode of Locked on College Basketball. My huge thanks to Spencer McLaughlin and John Neighbors for joining us on today's show. They took time out of their Thanksgiving to hang out with me and record. So big shouts to you guys. My co-host and I, Andy Patton, will be back on Monday to wrap up the battle for Atlantis, to wrap up PK85, and plus, we're going to give you our quick hitters or run around the nation from the weekend. Hey, make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. For those of you watching, would love it if you'd smash the like button and comment as well. Well, that's it for today, but until Monday, peace.